down um, unless it's your pattern to, for everybody to stand all through the preach, is it? We could start it, couldn't we? Or else, maybe even better would be to have you dancing all the way through. That would be fantastic, wouldn't it? Because, you know, you're fairly tame here, really, aren't you? I was thinking um, when Roger and I were in, uh, in Kenya about two or three years ago, and um, we were speaking at a big student conference there, and uh, there were about a thousand students there. It was fantastic. But the group that had invited us to come was an, actually a group from South Korea who were doing some ministry there. So they were leading this time. And I have to say that they're wonderful people, the South Koreans. But they had a worship leader and a whole worship team all flown in from South Korea, which was great. And it was so sedate. You know, it was, everything was really quiet. In the, in the worship time. And, um, but then after the second, it was a five-day conference, after about the second day, I said to the leader of the Koreans, you know, it might be, I'm sure there must be some uh, worship leaders or, or um, musicians here amongst the people, you know. Would it be worth, you know, asking them to do one of the slots? And he said, oh, yes, you know, that could be good. So they, um, on one, uh, I think they'd started it gradually, but then at one point they got a Kenyan worship leader and a whole Kenyan band um, up there. And I have to tell you, this very sedate audience just went berserk. It really went wild, but in the most beautiful way. And I had never seen people uh, spontaneously dancing in unison. You know, the kind of like this, but all together and uh, moving. It was wonderful. And the spirit of joy, of celebration and of worship there was fantastic. So, uh, you know, you're just, um, we'll have to see if we can get some Kenyans here. Shouldn't we? No, no, no don't boo. <laughs> Who needs ministry? Okay. Anyway, well, Roger, my husband, who's been here before, when... Um, when he knew that we were talking about possibly me coming here, he said, you really need to go if Joseph asks you because they're fantastic people and it's a wonderful group of people. So that was really lovely and he was dead keen. So he sent his love this morning. He's preaching elsewhere, but he sent his love. Now you've just heard that we've been, Roger and I have been in ministry for many years, more years than I can count. In fact, we planted Ixus Christian Fellowship uh, 40 years ago this September, so how about that? Uh, we are going to have <laughs> we are going to have a ruby celebration. How about that? So we have to give you an invite. But we are celebrating because God has been so good, so faithful. But what is really wonderful is to see, still see people coming to know Jesus, getting disciple in His church, being part of His purposes in the world. I know that this year you're focusing a bit on discipleship here. And I want to talk a little bit about discipleship this morning. Is that okay? So, uh, first of all, I was thinking that when we were listening to this lovely engaged couple um, making a commitment to each other, I was thinking that, um, well, I'm not going to ask you if you remember the day you got engaged or married, because many of you aren't. But do you remember when you committed your life to Jesus Christ? Do you remember that? How many people can remember a day when they actually committed their lives to Jesus Christ? Raise your hand. Okay, wonderful. And raise your hand if you were not only committed to Jesus, but you went and got baptized in water. 
Fantastic, wonderful. Well, I expect they asked you to respond to some vows, didn't they? Did somebody say to you, have you repented of your sin? And you replied, and did they say, and do you renounce all the works of the devil? Yes, well, that's what we say when we baptize people, okay. And did they say, and are you looking to Jesus Christ now as your Savior and your Lord? And you would say, yes, okay. So just remember that commitment because we're going to think about what it means to be part of the family of God. A few years ago, I was um, speaking at a seminar at Spring Harvest. They asked me to do a series of seminars on discipleship. And the, I started off the first day by saying, um, let's, uh, how many of you have become a Christian in the last three years? And uh, a, quite a number of hands went up. And I literally just selected three people at random and said, come out to the front. I want you to tell us how you became a Christian. And I found it fascinating because they were three completely different people um, in their age, lifestyle, everything. And they had three completely different stories, but I found it fantastic to hear them. The first one who stood up um, was a, a young guy, a father of children. He was in his mid-30s. And uh, he said, well, the local church were um, having children's outreach. And he said, um, and my children got invited to go. And I thought, oh, well, that would be nice. You know, let them go along to the children's work at the church. So they went along. And he said, and then they had a special service at Easter time when the children were going to be doing something and they invited us parents to come. And he said, so I thought, okay, well, go along, see my child in this. And he said, I was sitting there and the people were lovely, warm and friendly. And he said, the service was very lively. But he said, during the service, suddenly I felt like somebody had wrapped a warm cloak around me. And he said, I felt something inside. I didn't know what it was. And he said, I felt like I'd experienced something, but I didn't know what it was. And he said, I went home and I said to my wife, do you know I had this experience in this meeting? And he told, he told his wife, and he said, what do you think it means? And she said, well, why don't you phone the minister and ask him? And so he phoned the minister and said, I had this experience this morning when this service was going on. And he said, I just wonder if you could explain what it means. And, this, and the minister said, very wisely, I'll come around this afternoon and talk to you about it. And he did, and he led this man to the Lord because he said, you experienced the presence of God there amongst his people. As people were worshipping, he felt the presence of God. I don't know if you felt the presence of God here as we were worshipping. The Lord drawing near because he loves the worship of his people. And the second person then who stood up uh, to speak was a young woman um, who she again had very small children and she said well two or three years ago my life was a complete mess so I wasn't a Christian and um, I got into, in with a criminal gang and she said I got caught by the police and I was uh, due to appear in court charged with quite a serious crime and she said I then was told by my solicitor that I was likely to be sent down for quite a few years and she said, I just felt devastated. I thought, what's going to happen to my children? Who's going to look after them? And she said she'd noticed that the parish church was very friendly. It was just along the road to her. So she went along one day because she thought, maybe if I could get my children baptized, maybe somebody or God would look after them while I'm in prison. And she went and she spoke to the vicar. And he was a vicar who loved Jesus. 
And he said, um, we will, we will baptize your children, yes. But why don't you come along? He said, because we have a prayer group. And first of all, if, with your permission, I'd like to ask the prayer group to pray for you at this time. And she said, yes, okay. And so they started praying and then they invited her along and she went along and she found people's love to be very, very noticeable. And uh, then they prayed and the prayer group really took up her case in prayer that God would deliver her from this, uh, this, this, uh, the punishment for her crime, uh, if it was possible for God to do that. God knows everything. He knew all the ins and outs. Uh, anyway, she went to court, and she was amazingly just put on probation. Her solicitor was astonished, but there she was delivered from that. And she said she was so overwhelmed, and overwhelmed by the love that the people had shown towards her and her children, that she just opened her heart to Jesus. And then the third person stood up, and he was probably about 50, and he was both a lawyer and a businessman. He'd, he'd done law, and he was in business. And he, he told us his story. He said, well, you know, I wasn't interested at all in Christianity. He said, but my wife uh, started to go along to some group called Alpha, and he said um, she was, she'd invited along to it. And I thought, oh, that's fine for her. I don't know what it's all about, discussing Christianity. I'm not interested. And then she then said to him, why don't you come along with me? And um, he said, no, 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 I can't go along with you. He said, you know, you know me. Um, I absolutely know there is not a God. And he said, and if those, those people start telling me there is, I'm going to argue back. And he said, you know I am pretty good at arguing. You know that I know there is no God. And he said, I don't want to upset your new friends. You know, I don't want to be objectionable. And so he kept holding out. But eventually he agreed to go one evening. And he said to his wife, well, on your head be it. If they start telling me things about God, I shall tell them and demonstrate to them there is not a God. So he said, so we get there and they start talking to me about Jesus and I start telling them there isn't a God. And he said, so he said they didn't, they weren't argumentative. They were just very gracious. And he said, they just talked to me and I was getting more and more aggressive with my arguments. And he said, we then, we then got to a point, he said, where I suddenly had a weird experience. I felt a bit spooked. He said, because I suddenly thought... Who am I arguing with? Because he was arguing there was no God. And he said, I suddenly felt I was arguing with God himself. And he said, I thought, what's going on? What's going on? He said, I just suddenly felt there was only me and God in the room. And I was telling God that he didn't exist. And he said, it was the most weird experience I have ever had in my life. But he said, I went home really spooked from there. But that began to make him start to open his mind. God, are you there? And he also became a Christian. All those three became Christians. Now, how did they come into the church? You may know that missiologists and theologians, they say there are three ways that people uh, come into God's people, into the church. One is because they have a direct encounter with God. And after they know they've met him and given their lives to him, they then go and look for a church. Is that I, I know a family that found God exactly like that. The wife had a very unusual experience. She prayed to Jesus the night before a major rock because she was so afraid. And she asked God, uh, Jesus, she remembered hearing from school that Jesus healed people. So she asked Jesus to heal her. And she said, God, you know, if you just, because it, they, were, it was a, they thought it was a cancer rock and they, it was quite a serious situation. Anyway, what happened was the next morning she went down to theater 
And they came, when she came round from the anaesthetic, they said, well, you're the one that got away because um, amazingly, this was not a malignant growth as we have believed. We have removed it, but it seems to be perfectly benign. We'll, we'll check it. But actually, you can go home tomorrow. Just you know, get over the anaesthetic and go home. When her husband came in, the doctor told him the same. And he came into her and said, that's fantastic. You know, you're all right after all. So it was just a mistake on the medics. And she said, no, I don't believe it was a mistake. And then she said to him, I need to tell you something. I prayed to Jesus Christ last night. And she said, I believe that Jesus Christ heard me and healed me. And so he was totally overwhelmed as well. So they went to Smith's and bought a Bible and they started reading the Bible. And after a bit, they thought maybe we ought to find a church. And they went to find a church. Actually, they, the first church they tried sort of thought they were obviously weirdos <laughs> and weren't very helpful to them. But the next church they went to was actually one of our link churches, praise God, who had actually been praying in their area regularly. And um, they welcomed them in. And they became totally committed. I was there when then they were baptized in the sea in February up off the Norfolk coast. Wow, that was quite something. But they were a whole family. Their two teenage daughters came to the Lord as well. You see, some people come in because they have a direct contact with the living God. And then they think, well, church is part of it. I, and the Holy Spirit puts it into them to find other believers. So they come to church. That's one way you encounter Jesus, the head of the church. The second way people come to church or come into the body of Christ is because they encounter somebody who's really loving and friendly, maybe a number of them, and they're very attracted by the love and friendship. We have uh, someone who's coming into one of our congregations at the moment, and she started coming. She's not yet fully committed to Jesus. She started coming because she was so impressed by the friendships and the love amongst the people she knew from that congregation. And so she, she knows that they, they belong to Jesus. She's not quite ready to make that step, but she herself is very drawn by it. She says, you have a kind of community in your church, don't you? And it's, it's very lovely. It's very welcoming and friendly and warm. So some people come in like that. And they become part of the church because of other Christians. I don't know you, if you can be thinking as I'm talking, how did I come into the church? Well, that's a second way. And the first way we always talk about is being Jesus is the head of the church. So we talk about some people come in through the head directly. Some people come in through the body, through the body of Christ. That is the church, the fellowship, the love, the friendship. And thirdly, people come in because of the mission of the church. And that we call that the feet of Christ. So we've got the head, the body, and the feet there. But the mission of Christ, because they are touched by people reaching out in Jesus' name. And they, they are touched by what the church does. The beautiful community service and action that happens all over this nation through the church. The church does such a beautiful thing to serve the community. And some people are touched by that, and they come into church. Of course, if you're going to become a disciple... You have to move from, the, from just loving the people of God or just experiencing and appreciating the service of the people of God. We have to get in touch with the head himself, don't we, with Jesus. And that's the first step of discipleship. Now, I, I will read you some scriptures. How about that? Actually, to be honest, I've got so many scriptures buzzing around my head that I was worried I might just read them all and then not do anything else. So here I am. Um, I'm just going to read you a few verses from 2 Samuel. And 
It's, uh... oh no, first of all, one Samuel I need. I thought I'd put a marker in, but I haven't, that's okay. 1 Samuel 22, okay. And it's when David is fleeing from Saul. David's not yet king, and he's been anointed king, and he knows he's going to go to the throne, but Saul's still on the throne, and Saul is not about to yield the throne to David. So David is having to run from Saul. Verses 1 and 2 of 1 Samuel 22. David therefore departed from there and escaped to the cave of Adullam. So when his brothers and all his father's house heard it, they went down there to him. And everyone who was in distress, everyone who was in debt, and everyone who was discontented gathered to him. So he became captain over them. And there were about 400 men with him. Now, that was when David was in the cave of Adullam. And the wonderful thing is, he was already an anointed leader, wasn't he? Because God had already anointed him. And what happened to him was, he had a place which was a stronghold. It was a cave that they made into a stronghold, so not easy to take. And it was a place of refuge for David. Although I'm sure that David wasn't only looking to the cave and all the fortifications to protect him. Because if you read Psalm 91 which is almost certainly a, a psalm of David's and which was almost certainly written with his experiences of Adullam behind him. He says, the one who dwells in the secret place of the Most High will abide under the shadow of the Almighty. I will say to the Lord, my rock and my refuge, my God in whom I trust. And it goes on to talk about God's protection. That was David writing to the Lord and saying, in effect, he was saying, Lord, I know I can have a stronghold, places like Adullam. I know I can find human places, but actually you are my stronghold. Unless you are with me, Lord, I am vulnerable in every way. That is the truth in all our lives, especially when we want to serve the Lord. We need to make the Lord, who is our refuge, our stronghold. We need to know that he is our God. He is our protector. He is going to be with us. And so David was there in the stronghold of Adullam and in the stronghold of the Lord. And all sorts of people came to him. And I've always felt what a brilliant picture this is of the church. Don't you think? All the distressed, all the discontented, and all the debtors come along. Well, I hope they do. It would be terrible if those people didn't feel welcome, wouldn't it? But if, if the church is really functioning as a church, then people in need come. People in all sorts of need. People who were distressed, it says. It doesn't say what the distress was. Maybe things had gone wrong in their family. Maybe they'd lost someone. Maybe they were just finding life really difficult. And they fled to the cave of Adullam and joined David. And all the discontented, it says. And the word for discontented there means bitter in soul. All the bitter people came as well. I expect they found circumstances pretty bad and they had a degree of bitterness. So they went to the cave of Adullam. And it says all the people who were debtors, who were in debt, the people who felt guilty and had people after them and on their back, they came as well. And you would have thought this would never turn into any kind of an army, would you? Because imagine trying to disciple those people. Imagine trying to pastor those people. They always say that pastoring is like herding cats. Well, for David, it really was, isn't it? Have you ever heard that before? 
we, we know all about that. Um, but you know what I mean. Um, you know cats. We love cats. We've had two cats ourselves. And, um, but cats do do exactly what they want to do, don't they? You can try to persuade them to go this way, to go out or come in. Uh, does that mean how many minutes I've had or got to go? <laughs> That's all right. I don't mind. I don't mind. I'll flash it around to everybody so they can all then point at me if I go past it. How about that? Um, that's the way I operate best, you know, when people answer me back. Anyway, okay. So, and believe me, I've had some over the years. I've had all sorts of things. I can remember one time, one Christmas, we had one of our house groups went out around the area. And they were giving out, uh, they were, took a tray of little um, ornaments, Christmas ornaments. They'd made them themselves out of pine cones and candles. And they took them around the doors and carol singing to invite people to our carol service. And as people came to the door, they would say, Good evening, we're from Ictus Christian Fellowship. We'd like to offer you a Christmas gift. And then uh, as the person took it, they would say, you know, would you like to come to our carol service? Here's an invitation. Well, um, when, uh, when the group came back, two of them who'd been out uh, doing this, they said to me, you know, we, we had this unusual experience because we went to one door and the woman opened the door and we said, you know, good evening, we're from Rickless Christian Fellowship and we'd like to offer you a Christmas gift. And they said, this woman just stood there and stared at them and said, this is weird, this is really weird. And they said, what's weird about it? And she said, well, last night I had a dream, a really vivid dream. I dreamt that carol singers came to my door and offered me a gift. And she said, I woke up and I thought, well, that's a laugh. When do carol singers offer you something? They've usually got a collecting tin. That's what she was saying. And they said, well, we, we, are, we have actually come to invite you to the carol service we're having on Sunday. So they gave her the invite. And they were telling me this. And I said, is she coming? And they said, oh, she didn't say. So I said, oh, okay. Well, anyway, I was preaching in the carol service. And we had, we had about 320-odd people there. And um, I was... As I was preaching, I thought about this, and I was talking about how Jesus, God came in Jesus as a baby because he wants to communicate with us. And so I said, in fact, you know, two of our carol singers the other night went out, and I told the story of how they'd come to a door, and this woman said that she'd had a dream the night before that, that carol singers had come. And all of a sudden, I see this hand waving at me from the back. And um, I paused, and this woman stood up, and she said, that was me. And I said, oh, well, it's lovely you've come. Glad you're here. And uh, I said, so I hope you don't mind me telling your story. And she said, no, I don't. But what does it mean? And so I said, well, it means that God was speaking to you because he wanted to give you a gift that was far greater than one of these little ornaments. He wanted to give you the gift of his son, Jesus. And so she stood there and then she said, well, what do I have to do about it? All from the very back row of this crowded hall. And everybody was doing this, you know, all the time as they do. And um, so I said, well, if you wait till we, we finish the service, I will come and talk to you and I will tell you how you can receive God's gift. And we went on. But so I, I don't mind people heckling. That's what I'm saying, really. Anyway, she did come to the Lord. She joined the congregation. Um, God has spoken to her, you see. He loves to speak, doesn't he? Now, where was I going on that? Right. Um, <laughs> yes, the three kinds of people who came to David, the distressed, the discontented, and the debtors. So we had a sort of motley crew. But, and David turned that crew into his mighty men who took him to the throne. They were his bodyguard when he went to the throne. And they marched with him when David was crowned king at last. They were with him. 
And I think that's wonderful because we might have come into the church for all sorts of reasons. We might be part of God's people for all sorts of reasons, but we can be transformed by the work of Jesus Christ and we can walk with him. And he says we will reign with him. If we are faithful to him, we'll be with him. When he goes to his throne, we will be with him. We will, we, we will be with him when he rides out of heaven on his white horse with all the band of the overcomers. Don't you want to do that, guys? We don't just want to make it through life, do we? We want to go through life with a little bit of glory and a lot of expectation and lots of faith. Is that right? You don't want to live a boring life, do you? No, that's really good. I'm glad you don't, because if you're going to walk with Jesus, it won't be boring, okay? It will be challenging. It will sometimes be difficult, but it won't be boring. Anyway, whoops, I'm knocking over your pulpit. That's a good start, isn't it? Okay, right. So what well, the first thing David did to make these people the kind of people who could become his bodyguard, remember these people were all just gathering to him. They turned up. Obviously, they expected him to feed them and house them and all the rest, and so David looks around and thinks, okay, well, I've got this bunch of people who are dropouts, really, from society. But what are we going to do? It, first thing it says is, he became captain over them. He became captain over them. We just read it and don't think about it. But that is a very significant statement. You know something? He expected them to submit themselves to the order of that place. And to his own authority over them. Now, we know that David stands in the place of our Lord Jesus Christ. So basically, when we come to him, we are going to submit to his lordship. If we don't, we will never become a disciple. If we don't, we will never fulfill the purposes of God. But some people, you know, they come to church or they come to know Jesus, don't they? And they think, well, I'll do it my way, you know. Um, I think, well, I don't want to do that. I remember years back we had a, a guy that Roger and I helped because it was a complicated story. But basically his wife, uh, who was a teacher, had run off with another teacher that we knew slightly. And so to, by a roundabout way, we got to know this fellow who was devastated because his wife had left him. And, we, and he, was, he was almost suicidal. So we started bringing him around and we had him for meals and we prayed with him. He wasn't a Christian. And after you know, things settled, she didn't come back, but he and himself found some peace and help. He said to us one day, you know, I would like to be a Christian like you. And um, we said, well, you can be. We just, we, you just need to open your life to Jesus Christ. Just acknowledge his lordship in your life. He'd love to come and work with you. And he looked absolutely appalled, and he said, become Lord of my life. And he said, nobody's going to tell me what to do. He said, nobody will be Lord of my life except me. And we said, yes, yeah, a very dangerous thing to say, and a very sad thing to say, given it was, the, it was Jesus, really, who'd helped him to get to the, the level of security he had at that point. But he, he absolutely... I don't know what happened to him. We, we lost touch with him. I don't know if he ever became a Christian, but we left him because once he was on his feet again, he got on with his life. But we left him thinking about it. You know, if you don't acknowledge Jesus as Lord, you will never fulfill the purposes of God. So Jesus became Lord, and that's the first thing in discipleship. And then David, in the most wonderful way, shows us what it means to be a community like the church. In fact, I often put the story of David at the cave of Adullam, and the next little bit of it I'll read is from 2 Samuel. I think it's chapter 25, but I forgot to put a marker in. I'll find it anyway. 
or Emily can find it for me. How's that? Okay, yes, no, it's chapter 20, 25, no, 23, sorry. Okay, anyway, we'll look at it in a moment. But the second thing David did, you see, was he loved the people. He loved these people. Once they had acknowledged that he's captain over them, so he's going to set the boundaries and the rules, he loved them. We know that because there in 2 Samuel 23, you have this amazing little incident that says that when they were in the stronghold, um, it says at thir verse 13 of chapter 23, then three of the 30 chief men went down at harvest time and came to David at the cave of Adullam. And the troop of Philistines encamped in the valley of Rephaim. David was then in the stronghold and the garrison of the Philistines was then in Bethlehem. And David said with longing, oh, that someone would give me a drink of the water from the well of Bethlehem, which is by the gate. So the three mighty men broke through the camp of the Philistines, drew water from the well of Bethlehem that was by the gate, took it and brought it to David. Nevertheless, he wouldn't drink it, but he poured it out to the Lord. And he said, far be it from me, O Lord, that I should do this. Is this not the blood of the men who went in jeopardy of their lives? Therefore, he would not drink it. These things were done by the three mighty men. What happened here was that David was just saying one day, you know, because they were all holed up in this cave. And he said, oh, I'd love to have a drink of water from my hometown. You know, that well at Bethlehem by the gate. There's no water like it. He was talking like that. And these three of his mighty men, three of the men who'd come to him there and became his mighty men, they heard him say it. And they said to one another, let's go get it which was the craziest thing any of them could have done because there was a whole garrison of Philistines, several hundred Philistines holed up in, in Bethlehem. But we're told that these three men of David's, they went down there, they broke through that guard of Philistines, they rushed to the well, I don't know how they had the time, got the water up from the well, took a cup of it, broke out again, which is even more amazing. I often think the Philistines must have been wondering what on earth they were doing. Anyway, and then they ran all the way back to David. Here are David. Here's your water from the well of Bethlehem. We went all the way. We got it. We broke through those Philistines. We got this water for you. What does that tell you? That tells you they loved David. This wasn't a serious need. David wasn't dying of thirst. He just said, wouldn't it be nice to have a drink of that water from my old hometown? But they wanted to give it to him because they loved him. And so they went and got it. That shows you that they loved David and they would never have loved him if they hadn't felt a whole atmosphere of love there. And, you know, as a church, unless there is love among us, unless love flows all around the church, the love of Jesus made known in our church, we will not transform people's lives at all because people are only transformed by love, aren't they? We can set boundaries and rules and regulations, but they don't work, do they? I knew of a, I knew of a, a cult that um, used to hold people in very legalistically, and they were, had all sorts of rules. You had to do this, you had to do that. It's so much evangelism, you had to do this and this and this. But people were just all over the show in their lives. They were trying to see how they could get around the rules and disobey and not be noticed. I mean, what kind of discipleship is that? But here there is love, and these men wanted to work together. And you see even more why David commanded that kind of love. Because, you know, when they brought him this cup of water, he said, this water is too precious for me to drink. I am not worthy. of Those men went at the risk of their lives to get this. 
And he said, oh God, I'm not worthy of this love. And he poured it out in front of them. He poured it out as a drink offering to God. That was a very powerful moment because it had two aspects. One is it showed that David really respected and valued these men because he said, I am not worthy of that. Roger and I have been in ministry many, many, many years, and I can't tell you how often we say about people, maybe someone will drop us a note and say they're praying for us or whatever, and we often say we're not worthy of this kind of love. We are so grateful to God's people, for the people who've loved us, prayed for us, supported us, stood with us in difficult times. We are so grateful to God for that. We're not worthy of it. You're not worthy of it. None of us are. And David showed the men that love like that comes from God and it's too precious to take for granted. You know, sometimes we take our own families for granted, don't we? Sometimes we take our husbands or wives for granted or our children and their love. But love is too precious to take for granted. And David didn't. And so he said, I'm not worthy of this, Lord, but you are. And so then he showed them how to worship. And worship is an incredibly pow powerful agent in healing of people's lives and transforming people. You know that? That's why we worship. And that's why I, it was wonderful to be here during the worship as we gave ourselves to the Lord. Because worship opens your heart up to the Spirit of God. That's how he's able to change us. That's how he's able to deal with those things, the chains, the addictions, the, the sins that constantly crop up. He's able to deal with them because we put ourselves under the flow of his Holy Spirit. And David taught them how to worship. We know he was a worshiper, David. That's why he brought joy to God. He dispelled the enemy through worship, didn't he, from Saul. He could drive away demons he could open his heart to God and receive the Spirit. And here we see, he showed the men, this is how to worship, guys. Take the most precious thing you have, this water that represented the love of these men. Let's pour it out before him. And when we do that, when we take our human relationships, and that's a reminder for our lovely couple who got engaged, is when we take our human relationships and say, Lord, I'm not worthy of this person myself. I'm not worthy, but you are, Lord. And I want to pour this precious love before you. I want to pour it out in worship. It doesn't mean that you don't love them anymore. Of course, you love them much more deeply. In fact, that's the secret of continuing in a love relationship because you value it, you prize it, and God comes into it. So David shows us there that him becoming captain over them, that is some degree of submission. And people who are hurt or rebellious find it very hard to submit to anything, don't they? So that's the first thing. Lord, am I willing to submit to you? And therefore, when I come into the fellowship of the church, am I willing to submit to the patterns and the order of the church? That's really important. And when we do, we build the love. We build the flow of love and goodness. Lord, do I love my brothers and sisters? I love you, Lord, and I want you to love people through me. Lord, help me to worship. Help me to receive your spirit through worship. And finally, they were told, they, you see in the, in the chapters that follow, how these men learned how to be crack soldiers. 
they, they, we're told that some of them who came, and by the way, the first group that came and built this wonderful community meant that lots of other people joined them. It tells you in the next chapters, other people came and joined them. Sometimes people who were already crack troops came and joined them. That is such a true dynamic in the church of Jesus. When we have got before us a worshipping community with Jesus at the, at the head, when we're in truly lovely, loving relationships with one another, we know how to worship, then people start to join you, don't they? And when we are using our spiritual gifts, because what they did was that David got them using the gifts they had. We, we're told that some of them were naturally ambidextrous. They could use right or left hand. And so David got them practicing till they became crack shots with either the right hand or the left. That was pretty useful in battles. And he, in other words, he got them to use their gifts and polish them and hone them. And when we use our spiritual gifts, when we're ready to serve the Lord and to use our gifts for him, he can start to polish them. And you know something? Probably the gifts you start out with when you become a Christian won't necessarily be the same ones you're operating in 10 years later. Because as you move with God, you know he starts to develop gifts in you. So some people say, oh, I'm not going to help out here because I'm sure God's really called me to be a preacher. And that's absolutely crazy because you learn by submitting your life to Jesus. He starts to shape you and mold you. And then he draws out the gifts that he wants to use. And other people recognize it, don't they? Because as we learn to serve, we build his church. Now, there's so much more we could say on this whole thing, I was thinking about in the New Testament, the images we get there, that wonderful passage in Luke 10 where Jesus sent out his disciples. And he sent them out, do you remember, to be laborers and lambs. Laborers, he said, ask the Lord of the harvest to send laborers into his harvest. And then he said, and when you go, accept your food you're given because the laborer is worthy of his hire. So he's saying, you're laborers. Now, I don't, a laborer is not the owner of the vineyard. So a laborer doesn't have a lot of um, status in society. And so Jesus was saying, it's the lowest of the low. Yep, we're servants. I'm sending you out like laborers. That was the first thing. But you know, when you are loved and you love, you can serve. That's true, isn't it? You know that's true in your home, many of you. When you are loved and you love, you don't mind serving. It's, we're told in, in uh, John 13 that Jesus, knowing that he'd come from the Father and that he was returning to the Father, took a towel and girded himself and got down and washed feet. He could wash feet like a servant would wash feet. He could wash feet because he knew who he was. It wasn't demeaning to him. When we know who we are, when we're loved and we love, we don't find service demeaning even the lowly things, because we know who we are, and that's what we need. And they were also lambs. And again, Jesus said he sent them out like lambs in the midst of wolves. Yeah, there's lots of hazards out there, but you dwell in the stronghold of the Lord your God, and he will guard you. Because we, we know later in that chapter of Luke, Luke 10, we know that when they returned, they said, wow, even the demons are subject to us. So they became lion killers as well, didn't they? You should tread down lions and scorpions, it says in Psalm 91. That's what David had found, that God gave him power to overcome powers of the enemy. I'm sure you're going to, in this year, you're going to be thinking about lots of aspect of serving God as disciples. But I just want us to finish there, and I'm going to pray for us that God will help us to truly submit our lives to Jesus 
to let him fill us with his spirit, to ask him to help us to worship more and more deeply and to use our gifts that God has given us in whatever way he calls us. <laughs>